Our reading from John's Gospel comes around every Easter Sunday, just like clockwork or the rising of the sun or, well, Easter itself. I confess that sometimes I wonder what new thing can possibly be said about a story so familiar and one about which I've written at least 12 sermons already. But frankly, I've come to the place where I don't worry so much about saying anything new. Originality in this case might make for a short conversation on the ride home, but will otherwise merely get in the way. Like starting a campfire by rubbing two sticks together while behind me the whole forest is ablaze, we might admire the energy expended but would have to admit that the end result was a bit of an anticlimax. The wonder of it is that no matter how many times we come to this story, to this day, we're sure to find something new, something that pokes its head out from under all the familiar set pieces, something we somehow missed all those times before, a small thing perhaps, like that piece of cloth folded up neatly and set aside from the pile of grave clothes, a small thing, that manages to throw the huge miracle into sharper relief, a little detail that grounds what would otherwise threaten to float away into some dreamy realm out there beyond human experience, a place we can imagine but only barely. It's a wonder that as many times as we've read this story, as much as we may know our way around in it, we can always find some other little thing, some new perspective, some angle from which we can see the whole story all over again as if it were the first time. And so it has been for me this time round. This time I found myself being drawn to that scene near the end of the story where Mary is bending over to look into the empty tomb, her face wet with tears, her heart overwhelmed with fear. Where had they, whoever they may be, where'd they put his body? And she sees two angels, not an everyday occurrence even back then, And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? And Mary seems unmoved by them, or not at all surprised by their presence, or maybe she doesn't recognize them for who they are. Funny thing that, surely angels must speak in some sort of special effects kind of voice, like James Earl Jones on steroids, or Jean-Luc Picard making it so. If they do speak that way, all rotund and precise and deep and rumbling, well, Mary seems not to notice or to care. And you'd think angels would know who it was they were addressing, right? I mean, certainly by now, if they'd been paying any attention at all, they would have the full cast memorized. So why this generic woman? Again, Mary seems neither to notice nor to care. I guess the moral of the story is I need to adjust my stereotypes about angels. Anyways, Mary tells them why she's weeping. They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Is it possible that Mary's heart and mind and Mary's eyes are so clouded by sorrow that she didn't even know that she was talking to some angels? That even had they been all bright with their wings spread and their voices like trumpets, they would still have seemed like nothing more than a blurred, pale light to Mary's deadened vision. Mary turns around. Mary turns away, away from the angels, away from the tomb, away from the questions, Mary turns around and sees Jesus standing there. But she doesn't recognize him. Jesus speaks to her and does the same thing the angels did. He calls her woman. He asks her, why are you weeping? 
Mary thinks he's the gardener. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And then Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And suddenly Mary can see him. Mary recognizes him. He's not the gardener at all, no. Jesus, rabbi, teacher, friend, Jesus, alive, not dead, alive. Then Jesus gives her a message for the others, and Mary runs off to tell the boys back home just what she saw. Jesus, alive, not dead, an empty tomb. Jesus, alive. Well, this time around, it's the moment when Mary's eyes are open that catches my attention. Mary is locked in her grief, bound up by the power and finality of death, defined by her loss, until that moment when Jesus speaks her name, Mary. Then her eyes are opened, and Mary recognizes him, and she understands that he's been raised from the dead. Christ is risen. Mary's convinced, convinced enough to run back to the city and to tell her friends that she has seen the Lord. It reminds me of that earlier scene from John's Gospel. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, the dear friend of Jesus, had died. He was buried, and he was in the tomb for four days. And then Jesus came, and Jesus called his name, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out of the tomb, all wrapped in grave clothes and likely smelling to high heaven, Stunned and staggering from death into life, the dead rise at the sound of their names. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd, and they come running when the shepherd calls them. And not even the tomb can hold them once their names have been spoken. Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out of the tomb. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Jesus spoke his name, and the laws of death, the power of death, death itself was broken. And I cannot help but imagine something like it happening to God's own child, lying dead there in the tomb, like so many others before and after him, dead, and all his dreams, and all his miracles, and all his teaching, and all his laughter, and all his hopes, dead with him. Nothing imaginary about it. Jesus was dead. And then someone calls his name, Jesus. Maybe that same voice that told Joseph what to name him. Maybe that same voice who declared him to be God's own beloved. Maybe that voice who spoke at the transfiguration. Maybe that voice that rumbled across the sky as he hung on the cross. A voice spoke his name, Jesus, and his eyes opened. And since this is just my imagination running away with me, I imagine that voice to be soft and sweet, a voice that managed to carry within it all the love in the universe, a voice that gently called Jesus back to life, just like we whisper our child's name when waking her from her nap. Danny, wake up. Benny, wake up. Talitha, get up. Lazarus, come out. Mary, it's me. Jesus, wake up. And wonder of wonders, the child's eyes open. She smiles. He yawns. She rubs her eyes. He rolls onto his belly and starts to scooch himself off the bed. She sits on the side of the bed and swings her legs for a minute. He tugs at his pajama top and hops out of bed and steps into the light of morning. 
An angel's hands help her make the bed, putting the pillow just so, pulling the blanket back to where it belongs. An angel's hands help him out of his bedclothes, and he tosses them away in his eagerness to get out and about, only taking the time to tuck that special comforter, that special fuzzy thing that guarded him all night long, to take that special bit of cloth and, and fold it neatly and set it aside for safekeeping. So Jesus spoke her name, Mary. And it's no stretch to say that Mary, too, was raised from the dead in that moment, called back to herself, suddenly and unexpectedly confronted by the power of resurrection, hope run amok, so to speak, filling her heart in that garden and still coming, hope and more hope, wave after wave of hope, until she had no choice but to run off and share it with somebody, anybody, but first her friends. She was all caught up in the place of weeping, confusion, loss, hopelessness, weariness, death. The tomb was empty, yes, but it was not enough. The body was not there, but it was not enough. Two angels were sitting there in the empty tomb, but it was not enough. A kindly gardener asks her a question, but it was not enough. Not enough to break the spell cast by the cross. Not enough to call her forth from the place of death. Not enough to reveal the truth about what God had done in that very place not all that long before. It was not enough. And then Jesus speaks her name, Mary. And the stone is rolled away from her eyes. The stone is rolled away from her heart. The stone is rolled away from the place where her hope lay dead. And Mary is reborn. Hallelujah. Mary is reborn. Jesus speaks her name, and Mary is reborn. And the same is true for all of us. Once we were hopeless, bound by death, all tangled up in blue, filled with sorrow, in despair. Many of us understood our plight. We, we knew ourselves to be lingering by some tomb or another, searching for what we'd lost, not at all sure we'd ever find it. And some of us had no idea and thought ourselves to be living a normal life, not aware at all how close we were to the place of death, how it loomed over us and cast its shadows wherever we walked. And then Jesus spoke our name and our eyes opened. Maybe not all at once. Perhaps our experience was more akin to that of the blind man who saw what he thought were trees walking. We knew, we knew something was different, but for the life of us, we couldn't say exactly what it was. Or perhaps our experience was more like Mary's. We heard our name spoken by the risen Christ, and our eyes were open, and we knew exactly who stood before us, exactly who'd spoken our name. And so we were raised from the dead, some of us stumbling out of the tomb with the grave clothes still tight around us, Others immediately set free from whatever constrained us and so able to stroll or waltz or run out of death's cold hands and into the loving arms of God. All of it a miracle. All of it a miracle. All of it a miracle. Sisters and brothers, and I know you've been waiting for me to say this, Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Christ is risen. Oh, one more with feeling. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This is the central miracle of our faith. The act of God which makes it possible for us to be reconciled to God and to each other. The display of God's power which overcame death once and for all and so made our salvation possible. God raised Christ from the dead and so overcame the power of death once and for all. God rolled away that stone and entered into that tomb and whispered, Jesus, wake up. And the sound of that whisper, the sound of that name continues to resonate throughout time and space and will keep on doing so until we see Christ face to face. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah. And nothing will ever be the same. This is the central miracle of our faith. More than that, we claim it to be the central act of history, the event around which all of time and eternity are centered, the event which changed everything and forever. But on this particular Easter Sunday morning, I can't help but notice this other miracle. Jesus speaks Mary's name, and Mary sees the truth, and so is brought from death to life. Mary herself is raised from the dead. And the same is true for all of us disciples. Jesus called our name, and our eyes were open, and we saw Christ clearly and as if for the first time. And the chains which bound us were loosed, and the tomb which held us captive was destroyed, and we came out of the shadows and into the light of morning. And sisters and brothers, if I may be so bold, I will claim that this miracle is every bit as great, every bit as earth-shaking, every bit as history rearranging as the raising of Jesus himself from the dead. Jesus was first out of the tomb. There's no question about that. And his resurrection is what makes our own possible. But isn't it true to say that the raising of Mary really was the point of it all? Isn't it true to say that the purpose of what happened that Easter morning was precisely that we might also be raised from the dead at the sound of our name? Sisters and brothers, this story from John's Gospel is our story too. What happened to Mary happened to us. Lost in hopelessness, bound up in death, all tangled in our own grave clothes, wandering, seeking what we could not find. And then our name is spoken. We turn, we see, we are rescued from death, we are redeemed into life. And so we proclaim Christ is risen. Christ is risen is deed. And so we proclaim Mary is risen. Mary is risen indeed. And so we proclaim we are risen. We are risen indeed. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen.